0: Welcome to The Tidal Year, a series about the joy of swimming. With the help of some special guests, we'll discover the human stories behind why we swim. Together, we'll share tales from the places that helped us fall in love with swimming. From lidos to lakes, by leisure centres in the ocean, I can't wait to dive into these magical places. I'm your host, writer and wild swimmer, Freya Bromley. And every week, I'll be chatting to a new explorer, swimmer, author, or campaigner about what water means to them. Before we dive into this episode, I'd like to thank today's sponsor, TryHard. I love being in the water, but I don't love what pool chemicals like chlorine do for my skin and hair. TryHard develop water sports specialized skin and hair solutions that eliminate those negative effects of pool chemicals and ocean salts. I'm thrilled to share with all listeners of the Tidal year a very exclusive 15% off when you use code TIDAL at tryhard.co. In this episode, I have not one, but two guests as I'm joined by Callum and Robbie Hudson of the Wild Swimming Brothers. Together, they went on a nine-day adventure to swim the River Eden near their childhood home. They've also swam across some terrifying maelstroms in Norway, Scotland, and the Arctic Circle. We spoke about reconnecting with memories, overcoming or maybe just accepting fear, and that need to rewild ourselves in a busy world. Most of all, this is a great chat about the importance of brotherhood, and I really hope you enjoy it. Hi Callum, hi Robbie, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Hey, how's it going? Hello, it's uh, nice to be here.
0: Most important question first, how are you doing today and have you already had a swim?
2: Good, just been for a swim and the torrential downpour of 10 minutes seemed to coincide with the moment I needed to leave the pool and come back home, so (laughs) that was good.
0: Do you cycle to the pool or do do you walk?
2: I cycle to the pool and it's only like seven, eight minutes, whole swim, no rain. Cause I absolutely love swimming in the rain. Like it's one of the nicest feelings. And it was the moment that I left the Lido that the torrential downpour started. And I think it's just stopped now that I've got back home.
0: Oh, that's always the way, isn't it? What about you, Robbie? Have you been in the water today? I haven't. No, I've been for a run this
1: morning, but uh, I haven't been in the water. But I was quite lucky at the weekend up in like the middle of Slovakia. And we got to go for some swims in like this mountain waterfall So it was nice and freezing, but pretty lovely. But yeah, it's really hot here. So to be honest, I was more puddled than human after I'd finished the the run.
0: Slovakia, that sounds amazing. And I guess we should point out as well that we're not together with recording this podcast virtually because, Robbie, you don't live in the UK. So tell me about where you're based.
1: So from my side, I'm currently living in Slovakia, in Bratislava. So I've been here for a while. And then prior to that, I was in Berlin and also spent some time in Australia as well. No, the Slovakia is really underrated country. It's like one one of those places that no one really knows anything about. But then when you actually come here, like the scenery, the swimming, the parks are incredible. And it's also quite a different sensation when you're hiking and trekking in in the high Tatras and also in the low Tatras, because the animals are quite amazing. They have wolves and bears and everything. And much as I've asked, nobody's given me a good answer yet for what you're actually supposed to do when you meet a bear <laughs> hiking but i'm still searching for the answer and just hoping that never actually happens yeah and the, and the swimming here is incredible there's a lot of lakes around the city itself but then to be honest the best parts are all in the national parks it's a really beautiful uh lakes called Yazaros. yeah no i'd really recommend it to anyone who's interested in it for the bears rob i think it's one of two so there's for different kinds
2: of bears, there's different responses. So for one type, you're meant to, like, make yourself as big as possible and not seed any ground, make lots of noise and, like, move towards them. And then for the other kind, you're meant to, like, back away as, as quietly as possible. So I'd, I'd just t- pick one of those and hope for the best.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've heard different things from different people. So, yeah, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure in that moment I could quite – easily identify the difference as well but, oh that's definitely a sun bear there I can see that little bit of fur uh, you know like no worries.
0: Yeah suddenly a bit of rain in London doesn't actually uh, seem that bad for a swim compared to bears but you've both faced much worse at the potential of jellyfish or orcas or whirlpools so really you're not afraid of any kind of danger when it comes to swimming are you?
2: Well I don't know if that's true we were definitely afraid it didn't necessarily stop us from do I think that's the meta like as you say, people often, we were terrified. The night before we did the, one of the swims in Norway, where there is orcas, we arrived. It's in the Lofoten Islands, so it's within the Arctic Circle. And our tour guide, was a lady called Teresa who did wildlife watching tours, and she informed us that a pod of 13 orcas had been in the area, I think, the day before we arrived. And, and there was maybe like a 30% chance we might see them. They saw them relatively regularly. Now I know what you're thinking is like, well, we did the swims. They weren't scared of them. But the the night before, I've never had a feeling like it where it just like, because you know, then they don't attack humans. There's no recorded fatalities in the wild. The only recorded fatalities are in captivity, but it's just the size of them in the water. Like the feeling that this huge shape might loom out of the darkness beneath you and come and they're so intelligent that they would come and have a look at us. So yeah, that was one that I think we were certainly a little bit nervous on.
1: <laughs> definitely. Because it's definitely a really like quite deep and primal fear. But from my side, I think one thing that has certainly helped during those swims is trying to figure out what you can and cannot control. And then just focusing as much of your mental energy as possible on the things you can control. Because at the end of the day, if that's an orca feeding ground then that's their habitat you know we're very much out of place when we're in there and swimming but we can't control if they're there so it just makes more sense to kind of come back and focus on your own stroke on your breathing on how you're feeling just making sure that you're keeping going as well but it never quite gets rid of the feeling it's just something like a good little mental technique i think to keep it at bay during the swims And, and as a good example of what can be
2: outside of your control i did did a a swim in Malaysia, which was a, a round island swim, it was about 18k and they have lots and lots of reef sharks and uh, black dip reef sharks and I have, didn't get my nutrition and food for the swim where I was living in Singapore I kind of left it last minute and all I could find was like these weird miscellaneous snacks in a Malaysian supermarket in the middle of nowhere on these remote islands and they did not agree with me and I was like being sick as I was like, as the stay swim got on, you know, four or five hours, I had heat stroke, but I was being sick. And knowing that I remember our grandma had this tiny little SAS Collins book of like how to survive on a desert island. And one of the main pages that we always used to read, crowded around the fire, was the page that had the dangerous wildlife section. And the one thing I remembered that was that if you're at sea and there's sharks around, you have to throw any vomit as far away from you as possible because it attracts sharks. So I was kind of swimming and being sick and then getting terrified that I was just going to have this like lovely trail of reef shark food behind me.
0: I loved reading in the book as well how all of you approach fear in really different ways. And that's obviously probably a good time as well to mention that there's three of you as the Wild Swimming Brothers and that you're all very different people with very different dynamics in your relationship and I'd love to hear a little bit more about that before we get into how you all approach fear so like what roles do each of you take in the group who's the organizer who's the brave one who's the group cheerleader
1: that's a good question maybe it's better if we define the other people rather than do ourselves like that might be more fun cuz i would say that callum is very much the organizer and callum is He's the one who at the beginning of the swim, we'll be like looking around, getting all prepped and everything. And then Callum's already set off and he's like 20 meters already into the whirlpool diving, follow him up. I think also Jack's the youngest, I'm the oldest, Callum's the middle child. So I'd say Jack's probably the best swimmer, to be honest. Like he's very much like a natural swimmer. He'll just dive in, give it a go, you know, like whatever we're trying I would say I'm probably the most sensible one, but like in terms of the training and getting like prepped for everything and stuff. But we, you can hear Callum and Jack's side of that story, uh, see what they say. But yeah, Callum's definitely the megalomaniac. Jack's the romantic writer. Yeah, fill in the blank for me, Callum. Callum can do that.
2: Yeah, I think that's that's pretty accurate. I used to describe us as if we were one complete human, which the three of us on our floors would probably make up one good human. As the us th- together was that Robbie would be the brain, he's the, the sensible one, the diplomat. If we're squabbling, Robbie's the one who will make peace. He's usually maybe <laughs> the first one to, to call risk or you know, cry sense if an idea is too dangerous or too silly. So, I think Robbie's like the logical, rational one, the brain, and the body doing all the grunt work that no one else wants to do and sorting everything <laughs> sorting everything out and Jack's the the heart the romantic but slightly naive young writer who you know you'd he'd be in the middle of the maelstrom trying to pen an epic poem and you'd be like Jack you need to swim
0: and what a talented writer he is the book is wonderful i've really enjoyed revisiting it this week he's very talented you must be very proud
2: it was so weird because we knew we've always grown up with him writing and like he would always be working on little stories projects and he'd always get you know really good grades in English but and he studied at a university but you never think that you're going to be reading a book from your brother that just sounds like a book written by anyone you would you would pick up in a bookshop so it was a strange process reading it and being like wow this is this is really good Jack's not just like My brother, who's trying to do some writing, like he's a writer that I would buy a book from. Like if I didn't know
1: him, I would pick it up and enjoy it. So it was, yeah, it was really interesting to see. It's quite special because I think like that's something all three of us like we have a lot of shared interests. I would say probably a little bit of like genetic shared craziness, (laughs) definitely from the Scottish side. But like something we definitely all love is reading. That's a massive part of all of our lives, and I think anyone with any kind of passion for for literature. It's quite special, you know, that feeling of going into a bookshop, choosing something you love, just browsing. And then when you go in and then you see Jack has got his book there, it's published, it's in the bookshop. Like that for me was quite a special moment, I think. Because it's a big step from, you know, scribbling notes and making things to actually having a published book in the shop there. Yeah, no, that's that's pretty cool. I think we should oust Dad here because Dad, Dad, it is a proud
2: feeling to see you know, a book with your little brother's name on. You're in in the Waterstones, and Dad was so proud that he went round all the Waterstones in London and moved Swim Wild. You know, he'd make sure it was turned out. <laughs> I think he went to every single bookshop in London to do it.
0: <laughs> That's very sweet. I love that. And I mean, it's a huge achievement. But you're all quite familiar with achievements in everything that you've done with your swimming, which has just been great. And one thing I wanted to return to is that idea of Robbie, you being the brain of the group. And one thing that I thought really summarized that so well was when you're talking about the chance of interacting and being in the water with orcas and how you approach that problem and that fear by creating these lists. And that was your way to think about how you could control that. Maybe you can tell me a little bit about how you all approach that fear in different ways. Yeah. So to kind of unpack that point the. from my side because like
1: also I really enjoy training like boxing weightlifting running all these different types of sport and I'm also really interested in the psychological side of that and I'm quite lucky with my job I get to like meet work with talk to like elite weightlifters nutritionists olympic athletes uh, sports psychologists and from this like I I enjoy picking everyone's brain and trying to take different bits and pieces and So my way of dealing with these like fears, so there was a few of them, like one of you swimming in the Arctic, obviously the cold and hypothermia is a problem because it becomes something physical and psychological, you know, it's obviously there are physiological effects from the cold, but then also there's psychological effects. If that starts to kind of seep into your body, you really feel you can change your mentality. You know, you get really negative, you start feeling more fatigued, things like this. So you almost end up making decisions that are outside the kind of decisions you would normally make. So my technique was this was as soon as Callum came up with the plan to go to and swim across the Moss Straumman and the Salt and was, I just wrote down everything I was really scared of. I was just super honest. I just sat down with a book and was like, okay, what could genuinely stop me from doing it? And then I wrote down every single fear and then tried to write an answer for it. So for example, coming back to that idea of being able to determine what you can and cannot control in any situation, I think is pretty applicable to life in general. But in this case, with the swimming, you know, for example, the cold, how do you focus on that? It's like you acclimatize, you put in the hours, spend time in the cold water, cold showers, all that stuff. And then by the time you get there, you know like, okay, my body's ready for this. My brain is ready for this. I'm expecting it to be cold, but that's fine. And and that's fun. And yeah, that's, so that was how with the cold, with the distance, because the it was 8.5 kilometers. And obviously we knew it would be really rough because it's the biggest whirlpool in the world. So that was just being physically conditioned. So at the time I lived in Berlin, so I trained in the lakes in Berlin. And also I trained in a couple of gyms there, like Berlin Strength, and also a CrossFit box. So, for my training, like I, I I really loved that part of it as well, like a lot of strength work. And I had to just design my own program to go with the swimming. So, by the time I got there, like I felt good for that. I was like, you know, I've put the effort in, I'm in good condition, I can, I can definitely do it. And then the last ones were just little things. It was, and I remember the one with the orcas, because so I was just looking at that, I'd be like, okay, fear, you know, being eaten by an orca. And then there's the logical side, like Callum said, you know, there's no recorded fatalities. To be honest, there's, you know, they're not aggressive. They're, they don't hunt humans or anything like that. But then that doesn't change that part of your mind. It's like, well, that's a real big whale that could be there. And my only solution in that case was just try not to look like a seal. That was, that was all I had. <laughs> that was it. That was the only thing.
0: What about you, Callum? How did you try and fight your fear?
2: I changed my desktop background on my work computer to a pod of killer whales, which I know seems counterintuitive, but yeah, I was like, well, I'll just stare at it every day. And hopefully that will help my mind, which I've heard the opposite from people when, when they're swimming with anywhere where there's sharks, which most swimmers will like not say, they'll say the S word. They won't say the word. They will stop. They will not watch any like wildlife documentaries. They won't look at anything to do with that animal. But I kind of found the opposite, yeah. So I had my desktop background as orcas. I did the, when I did alcatraz. I did the same thing with a great white shark, and was like, "Well, I'm just just look at it and confront it." But the thing is, it's it's a coping mechanism, but it doesn't make, mean that you don't feel like I would say during the swim, I actually didn't think about it that much, or any of the swims that we've ever done. I've never really thought that much about the dangerous wildlife that's there but there'll be a second when you remember, you know, that maybe you'll be like oh Robbie's over there and Jack's oh Jack's stroke looks good or oh, bloah that's a big jellyfish and oh, wow this water and that could take you for 20 minutes and your mind drifts and then you'll get that one second of oh no yeah I remember there was something to be afraid of there could be an orca there could be a great white and it it blasts into your mind scares you for that It might be 30 seconds a minute you can't stop thinking about it and then before you know it something else has distracted you so it's it's like these micro moments of panic which Robbie's method my method help but you still feel you still feel them.
0: And how has that helped you in your personal lives having this fear that you've had to be able to manage and control and like you say own it you're not you know completely overruling it in your life you're accepting it you're letting it come in and resonate with you a little bit. I wonder if you have any thoughts about that.
1: So I would say actually it definitely works in terms of being able to break things down. And I think it's maybe not so much of the fear, but that does link into it. But it's more on the side of like thinking about the things you actually want to do and actually want to accomplish, like whatever they are, like however big or small it is. And then the swimming has been a really good way of doing that. Like, for example, if you think, okay, how do you swim 145 kilometers? You know, it just seems a big thing when you just say it like that and then it's there. But then if you say like, okay, we're going to break it down to this amount per day, and then you think about the training and like, okay, I need to you know be able to do this every day. I need to be able to be not scared to just do it also. And then I think from my side that that's definitely filtered into life in general, when I think like, okay, I want to do this. Like, why not? You know what I mean? If I can do this, if we as three people, because Callum Jack and I are sort of we haven't had any special training or anything like that with swimming. We've had like very normal swimming lessons, learning to swim. We've just loved doing it. We've always been, you know, like out in the sea ever since we were babies, and and that you know been getting the water and winter in Scotland, just like swimming like that. So it's it's not that we're technically amazing or elite athletes or anything like that. I think it's just that we'll give it a go and do it, and then do it like that. But yeah, from my side to kind of recap that that it's been really good for in terms of like my ambitions and things I want to do in my own life and I know it sounds like such a cliche but it's like actually that yeah those things you're, you're really limited by nothing if you just break it down and then work out what you need to do and just have the discipline to follow it through. Yeah I would agree with that
2: and I would I kind of see it that fear is usually a barometer that something is worthwhile and that can be applied to almost anything in your life like whether it's work like Maybe it's a new era of responsibility or a promotion or a new meeting. You've got any new form of work you'll probably be afraid of, but then it's worthwhile. You overcome the fear, you progress, you move on, that kind of growth mindset. You can apply it. All the swims that we've done, the ones that I was most afraid of are the ones that I look back on as being the most worthwhile. And it's like almost everything in your life. This is not to say that you should deliberately seek out fear, but if you love something and enjoy it, being afraid of it is not necessarily a reason not to do it. It usually means that you're kind of pushing yourself, that you're doing something you haven't done before. You're not stagnating. You know, we could do the same swim a hundred times, but it's not going to be very interesting for us. It's not going to be interesting for our relationships. You know, bring. You know, I'm sure when we brought Mum on the first swim, she was terrified. Or there's tons of people getting into swimming in the last year, and for some people, it might be terrifying for them to go from their indoor pool and go swim in a lake or something. But I guarantee that they'll overcome that fear and it'll become more worthwhile. And before you know it, that person will be on a, a 5K down a river and absolutely loving it.
0: I think that enthusiasm and energy really translates in the book and also just in your social media channels as well. And I'm very drawn to stories about people that do these amazing things. One of my favorite books is Wild by Cheryl Strayed. And there's a great quote when she says, you know, I knew that if I could hike the Pacific Coast Trail, that I could do anything. And she has that feeling that after having achieved this seemingly impossible physical feat, that she felt that going forward, she could do anything in her life. And I suppose doing any challenge, something that you really have to work for that is going to be incredibly difficult, really does give you that resilience. So of course, I've been really drawn to your story as well. But what makes your story so different to some of those like Wild or The Salt Path, which is another great adventure book, is that there's three of you and that you're doing it together and that you're constantly buoying each other up with this support and friendship and brotherly love as well
2: it's all a sham we secretly hate (laughs) each other
0: (laughs) but you all live far away from each other so in many ways this really brings you together as well which must be nice because it's easy to always wish to be close with your siblings or with anyone really but this is something tangible that can bring you together
1: it's also like a pretty nice way to meet and because like what you say is totally true. We live apart from each other, but it's quite fun to be like, oh, yeah, we'll meet up and we'll swim a whirlpool or we'll meet up and we'll do this big river or, you know, whatever it is. It's, it's quite nice. It's a little bit different to just be like, oh, we'll meet up and sit in front of Netflix for three days. You know, and I, I think also doing crazy things with people is a really good way to uh, yeah grow closer. because then you've got that kind of shared experience of, of something that's not a conventional norm. Yeah. And
2: also, I think it's helped us overcome quite serious issues in our lives. Where So when our our mum and stepdad, who they've been together for maybe 15 years in the house that we grew up, they separated and they sold the house where we grew up. And for us, that was like kind of the end of a period of that life where our family home. We didn't really have as much of a tie to Cumbria, which is where we grew up. And us getting together to swim the River Eden, which flew past the house, was like an amazing shared collective experience. We did the same thing when our grandma passed away. We were in different places. like We didn't have that kind of collective grieving experience. So we decided to swim the loch, which her house overlooked. And at the bottom of the loch is her grave. And one of our cousins collected wildflowers and seaweed from the swim. And we laid a wreath on her grave. So often these swims have become a way for us to kind of not just connect but other things in our life to rally around and it's not just the three of us as well we've had so many of our family members you know our cousins our mum's now the biggest wild swimmer in the family (laughs) yes it's it's like a connecting
1: tissue for the family now it's also really like Callum mentioned then with swimming did for grandma and that was that was something special because it wasn't I think some people, you could look at some of the bigger swims or the bigger challenges and think that there's ego there. It's like, oh, we want to be the first people to do this or that. But it's really not like that at all. Um, and I think doing also the swim for grandma was a really lovely feeling because we, we swam for a long time. I think, what was it, 12 miles or something like that? It was quite a way. But then it was lovely because when you were swimming, you felt like, oh, we're doing something. If grandma was still alive, she would be in this in the water with us you know, she'd be like 79, probably faster than all three of us at the front. And that—that that, I think that was really nice because it reminded, or at least taught me personally, that was like, okay, for people who aren't here anymore and people you've lost, that just go and do things they would enjoy doing kind of in their memory. and And it was a really nice way to remember somebody, I think.
0: Yeah. Mastering your emotions when you're in those very early stages of grief is very difficult and so complex, but to do something actually physical, to engage with that loss often feels like a good first step. So that was really nice that you did that together as well, especially if you all had different ways of experiencing your own loss, being able to come together and meet, you know, much like a river meets in your own different ways. Must have been a good, a good way to have that as a collective experience together.
2: Yeah, really. Well, you know, you've, you've seen recently, well, recently they had, they started to prescribe green and blue health I think it was like a couple of weeks ago. So it's like a body of work that's looking at, you know, mental health and physical health and looking at ways that they can prescribe time in nature or time in water for, you know, people who are struggling. So for us, it's, it's become this way to, it just connects so many areas, which are vital for us to enjoy our lives. You know, it's the, the exercise side. There's the the collective shared experience. The, the family we've often brought friends into it we've often brought partners along and then the mental health aspect is huge like the exposure to the cold the release of endorphins it channels any negative energy in a positive way. Um, I came back in lockdown and I was living in Singapore and had moved in with mum and never thought that I'd be 31 and living with, <laughs> with my mum for two months in lockdown couldn't leave the house couldn't go anywhere. And we kind of explored the bottom of her garden, found this tiny little dipping pond that was honestly about the length of the two of us. (laughs) And every single day in lockdown, we couldn't go anywhere, couldn't do anything. But both of us would go down together to the pond. Um, You know, it's April, so it was quite cold. And we'd have a swim every single day. And that was kind of my mum and my way of kind of getting through lockdown. And when we meet, we hadn't seen Robbie for ages and we, we met up together and had our first swim together and it's it often is a way to kind of connect with each other and bring other people in as
1: well. I think that's really interesting when you see it in different examples you know like Callum's kind of talking about the water as some like almost like an old familiar friend or something that helps and is can be very healing and that's really interesting and I remember thinking about that like a long time ago being in Syria and then we visited in Damascus the world's oldest mental institution And it had a fountain in the middle with a water channel running through all the different rooms. And I remember thinking about it then that straight away, I walked in and was like, yeah, I I get it. You know, like the part of the ancient Arabic culture of water having healing properties or moving water and like the sound of it and everything as well.
0: Yeah. Healing is a great word for water. It does feel like that. And I think part of why that is, is that it has a power to translate a lot of your current experiences back to your childhood and it's one of the few times that we actually come back to playing and go back to that kid-like state of playing and just being in the water and being free and I suppose that really happened for all of you with this swim in the River Eden because you were connecting a lot to happy memories from your childhood because that was where you grew up so I'd love to hear about the idea behind doing that what it actually I mean it was a long you were out there for quite a few days right
2: Nine days of putting a freezing cold wetsuit on every single morning after counting. Oh no, <laughs> that was the word. yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was nine days, ten miles a day, so ninety in total. As I said, it was kind of we we'd done it because mum and stepdad had split up and they were selling that house. It was almost like a farewell tour to the Lake District, or at least that chapter of our life. But as we went through, certainly the the mid stage, which was along the river between a little village called Langwathby and Armouthwaite, where as kids we would go. You know, everyone would cycle down from the village no one called it wild swimming you know we just maybe to have a barbecue we'd spend all day jumping off rocks and playing and you're right it really does I think that's why one of the main reasons I love it so much is because it just connects me to that a childish feeling and the escape and so much of adulthood is this kind of forced seriousness and endless emailing and endless admin like all these things and you're like it's me I'm the person that's making myself care about all this and making myself you know not play and not be creative so it's a huge release and also it's, we're so lucky because where we grew up is it's incredibly beautiful you know the Lake District It's one of the most beautiful places in the UK with three white able-bodied heterosexual males like we've had it as pretty privileged as you could get so it felt like a bit of a duty that we better you've got to go and make something of yourself if you start off there so th- these kind of challenges is almost like a way of we're making the most like i could look grandma wild in the eyes at the end of my life and go grant i did a good job like I've, i didn't just sit back and do nothing i didn't just let life get the better of me i didn't give up and you know we pushed it and we did 14 maelstroms and swam on a I don't know what it, what the future holds but
0: more adventures to come and the Lake District is a very beautiful part of the country and amazing for swimming. Robbie, what are some of the points along that river that you remember going on on this adventure and really feeling like it just took you back to your childhood and those moments? Maybe you can tell me about some of the spots on the river and what the water's like there.
1: Yeah, from my side definitely near Armthwaite Cliff. That's somewhere that's been like a really good kind of hidden camping spot like through our teenage years and then we would go and camp there build a fire and there's a really big cliff so you'd arrive there make a barbecue jump off the cliff a few times then wait till it gets dark so all you can see is the fire on the beach and then the stars and then go back up to the cliff and jump off again in the dark which is really fun and it just like takes me back to all that time and then i think the other part callum has been mentioning it but when we swam past our old house So, I think because we didn't really talk about it very much, but as Callum said, like it was a big deal. And the swim, in a way, was uh, quite symbolic to saying goodbye to that place. And I have a really great memory. Like we didn't plan it at all, but there's a big, wide kind of meandering sweep that comes around as you go into Langwathby and then down towards Lazenby. And maybe half a mile before we came past the house, that stretch of the river, we all just started swimming parallel to each other almost like it, it synchronized strokes and it was amazing like we as i say not planned at all and then we just swam that entire section like that and it was really odd you could really communicate with the other people there just through doing that uh, i think that was pretty special that's definitely something i'll remember my entire life so probably those two spots for me robbie missed his
2: favorite his actual favorite bit was the specific boulder that he decided to headbutt on one of the really, really strong sections of rapids. Like After Armathway and before Curl Coswold, there was a section where it was very strong rapids. It's not necessarily – not somewhere you would advise people to go swimming. We had two kayakers, one at the front, one at the back, but then we had three brothers, so the brothers outnumbered the kayaks. And <laughs> – Robbie got very excited on one section and we worked out that actually the best thing to do and this will sound counterintuitive and lots of people will tell us off but for for river swimming is all to do what's called the superman which is to get as flat as you possibly can arms stretched and then if you feel any impact with your hands you kind of then tuck up into a ball and Robbie went down one particular section but forgot to put his arms out
1: (laughs) yeah I was Honestly, it was the end of the day. I was tired, and my optimism got the better of me. It's like oh, I'd be fine. I'm just gonna go for it, you know. <laughs> like it was fine, actually, but it was pretty. Yeah, it definitely could. Uh, it was close to not being fine.
0: And what I love about everything that you've done with these journeys is that you're also. Interacting and engaging with memories from your childhood because we like to say to people, Oh, you never forget. But the reality is that memories often are a finite resource and that you do have to lead into them and spend time remembering them and thinking, not just by looking at photos, because I often find as well, I sometimes think I remember things that I maybe don't. I just probably have seen a photo of it, especially from when I was younger. So when you go back to somewhere and you have new experiences with that place, it really helps you remember and puts you right back there. So I think putting that work and that energy into memories that you all have as brothers and bringing them into the present as well is really special.
1: I think it links also a bit with, you know, we touched on Jack's writing for as well, but actually like the creative side of it is definitely massive within the wild swimming community, which is great. And like for me, I find that's why I love making drawings and paintings about the swims is a lot of that, like processing that in the memory of it. And then it really, really does help me remember certain parts of the swim or certain things. And it's incredible, you know, like a tiny part of one of my drawings. And I can remember exactly how the cold felt like, the shape of a branch under the water or something like, or a rock formation, something like that. And then it's just there again, straight away in my mind. So, you know, you're totally right for It's It's really, really interesting. Like I think seeing how people process those memories. I remember reading something recently that where it was talking about memory and it was saying that generally it's more like accepted fact now that we tend to remember things when they're more closely connected with intense emotions, as in you'll like maybe pin a memory not on the actual like factual information from the event, you know, so it's less intellectual and it's more emotional. And I think that's pretty true, actually, in regards to our swimming for sure.
0: That's so interesting. And I definitely something that feels true from my own experience. I only really started swimming as an adult. It was Christmas a few years ago, I think, and I was staying with my parents and I found a load of photos of me, my brother and my sister swimming in Dartmoor and swimming in Lake District. And I'd totally forgotten that that was something that we used to do together. And obviously, of course, it's become quite trendy to talk about wild swimming now. But Callum, I think you mentioned that wasn't really a thing then. It was just swimming. We didn't really even have swimsuits. You just would be out for a walk. The water would look beautiful and you'd all get in. And thinking about those memories, especially after my brother died and I found those photos again, was like, wow, this is a way that I can get back some of those memories, some of those really positive, happy memories of us together. And swimming's been fantastic for connecting me to those times and going to visit places that we'd been together and connecting a bit with some of that playful side has actually really brought me closer to my brother, even though he's not around as well, which is a very different sibling relationship. But swimming's been able to connect me to that too, which has been very special.
2: So you do have that feeling often when you swim that does it bring back memories of of when he was alive when you were kids?
0: Yeah, definitely. And lots of the games that we used to play, kind of like diving under the water and being dolphins or carrying each other, or we used to talk to each other a lot under the water. I don't know if you used to do that as kids and be, you know, shout things under the water. So that's been really good. I think in terms of having happy childhood memories. But the other way that I think it brings me closer to him is that when I'm swimming in cold water, you can't think about anything other than how cold the water is. So I often find that's very healing, especially, you know, when you're thinking about being connected to your grief or your loss, because there's just nothing else you can think about other than how cold it is. And I've never really been able to get fully into meditation or yoga, but swimming is that for me. Swimming is that time that I can switch off and empty my mind of any worries other than how cold it is and doing maybe two lengths. I'll I'll give myself that goal and, and see if I can just about do that.
2: Were you just encouraged by your parents to get into it or was it that natural, like childish, just exploration? Can you remember where it first started from?
0: I think exploration and always being outdoors. I think the same as you, it sounds like your childhood was very much about being immersed in nature, being at the back of the garden and playing with anything we could find, making hedgehog houses out of leaves and always part of that was i think swimming and climbing trees and we don't do that enough again now even if i'm thinking about having a hike i prepare for the hike i have the things that i'm going to do i have the map i have the route and actually that exploration is something that we all need to lean into a little bit more although it sounds like you're a big planner when it comes to your adventures too
2: yes that's there's a lot of planning but it- just one thing you said there, just peaked something as well. Is what you're saying there, like that exploration side, the the childish side? It's like an anchor to your true self, really. That your you know four year old self would be proud of you. That you're you're swimming, you're still outdoors, you're doing these things that that connects you back to your brother and those memories. Our we were Robbie and Mind's four year old, eight year old self would be happy that we were still doing those things. You know, they'd be. Your childhood self would be disappointed with you if all you were doing was just existing, opening emails, um, watching Netflix with your hand in a bag of Doritos. That's not to say we don't also do that, but it's that like duty to your childish self. And your childish self is a good measure of what you should be doing.
0: That's very true. That's very true. And I think that was one of the moments from your experience as well that stood out to me was how much we forget that. We forget our true selves and we lose sight of it a lot. And I think often people are very surprised by wild swimming. You swim outdoors when it's cold. You're doing this. That's crazy. I remember reading one part about your story that someone said that what you were doing was insanity. And maybe you can tell me about that and that that realization of, actually, it's the first, this thing from insanity because this challenge that I'm doing is bringing me closer to who I am.
2: There was a Norwegian journalist who, when we did the Saltz Strauman, which was really different, it's like much shorter. It was maybe a 12-minute swim. And he told. T- I had this whole interview with him. We were doing it, it as like partner with WF Norway, trying to raise conservation for oil drilling in the Lofoten Islands. We were doing this dangerous swim, and after the whole interview, it didn't really say anything. But then it went in the press in Bodo Nu, which is like a, 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 a no Dagsbissen, which is like a Norwegian publication, and the title was "Wild Swimming Brothers Aim to Not Kill Themselves." And it was like this article about like how that we would die and it was stupid and scuba divers had chucked dummies into the salt straw and it had taken them down 200 meters in a second and they hadn't found the dummy. So yeah, that was probably the most dangerous one where we had people telling us that it was insane. But I don't, I think of all the times in my entire life, the time when everything aligned and everything made sense was that swim of all of
1: them. I think also if if you have like people around you telling you like, oh, this is insane or this is crazy or why would you even do this? I think it's a very good litmus test for the fact that you're probably doing something worthwhile. You know, like you're at least stepping out of conventional behavior and conventional thought and maybe trying something new or something different or especially with water and especially with nature and like reconnecting with nature, that's a massive part of just why we all love it as well you know we've been raised i think to have a very healthy respect for the natural world and animals and that's something like swimming, it's not an easy way to explain it. Like we're not religious, but like when you're swimming, you're doing something that does connect to you with nature in a very real way. Because it's like you said earlier, Frey, you know, you get in the water and you can't think about anything else. It's freezing and you're you're there, you're like very aware of your own physiology, your movement, your breathing as well. And I think that's a really, really great leveler for everyone as well. So I think from when yeah, when people stand on the side of a riverbank and see you and then you know and you're but you're in the water doing it then it's 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 the right
2: place to be when people say something negative or or you can't do something why are you doing that like you were saying oh it must be cold or like the best thing about opinions is you don't have to listen to them like it's just someone's opinion and well if I've asked a Norwegian ship captain who's lived here for 25 years and drives across the maelstrom twice a day he thinks it can be done and he does then I'm going to listen to him these negative opinions I don't need to listen to. It's just, they're just opinions.
0: It's interesting what we question, isn't it? You know, standing on the riverbank, oh, why would you get in? That's weird. But we don't question getting on a train for an hour every day to get into work and sit at a computer and answer our emails. And we don't often question that as much. We've accepted that that's what being part of society and having a busy life is. Whereas we find it a lot easier to say, well, you can't get up and go and do that and do this crazy thing. So that's great that you've all found something within you together as brothers that you do encourage each other to question that and to push each other a little bit as well. And I'd love to hear how you actually then started this challenge to go and swim in a maelstrom, because of all the challenges to do, where did that idea come from? It sounds like you're all quite interested in folklore and stories. Is that where the kind of seed of that idea started?
2: The first one that we do was one called the Corryvreckan, which is a maelstrom off the west coast of Scotland. We were actually looking for a, a training swim to do before Swim the Eden. Swim the Eden was like 90 miles. We never really sw- swam together as brothers properly. So we were like, we need something that we can do together that's going to be like the trailer and build some motivation and self-esteem and all that kind of stuff. Mum's Scottish, we'd always holidayed in Scotland. So we I was looking at swims to do around Scotland and found this maelstrom called the Corrie Brecken. And once I started reading about it, I was like, oh, this sounds good. This sounds good.
0: And by good, you mean this sounds incredibly dangerous and spooky, but you were like, this is the one. This is the one to do.
1: Exactly. Like The history, the folklore... It's something also again, like that we're all interested in, and I think from our family as well, you know like we're all interested in myth and legends and history, and like again that that connecting point between a landscape and the cultures and the people and and the evolution of history and and again, yeah, like a swimming just ties so nicely with all those things and and it's an amazing feeling when you're swimming through a whirlpool, and you know that in Celtic mythology that this whirlpool has been created by a god dipping her braid and spinning it around in the water and everything. And like, it's quite an amazing feeling, really. And then again, for the Mosque Strauman, with reading about it in story by Edgar Allan Poe as well, like it's quite amazing to see it there in the literature and then go and see it in real life and swim through it. So I think that's yeah a pretty big draw of doing it as well. Yeah. And the the Mosque Strauman, which Robbie just meant as well, is
2: also in Jules Verne's, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea is where Captain Nemo's submarine, the Nebuchadnezzar, is swallowed, and, and it gets sucked down into the maelstrom, and, and Nemo like navigates with his ship. So there's all these incredible stories. Oh, Cory of Reckon, again, is where George Orwell wrote 1984. It's these two islands of Scarborough and Jura. The maelstrom sits in between them. And like a maelstrom, just very quickly, because we'll be, we've been talking about them loads, and people might not know what they are, but it's effectively... It's where you have almost like a mountain range in the sea and the mountain range has a dip in the middle. So two very high ridges and then a lower ridge. Obviously, that's all surrounded by water. So what happens is between the two landmasses is a very shallow ledge of water with very deep drops on either side. As the tides change, all of the water rushes through this narrow gap between the two landmasses, but it rushes over a really shallow ledge So you get a huge volume of water, shallow ledge, opposing tides, and that's what creates all of the curries, the eddies. Orwell was shipwrecked in one of them. He was nearly drowned. His boat was smashed against the rocks. Maybe that's why 1984 was such a jolly read. And so these things, when I hear that, and there's other ones, there's one in New Zealand that we're hoping to do, which is called Tiawamuti. Awamuti. And there's an ancient legend of this Maori king who rode a giant bird and it crashed into the water one day and it created this maelstrom. We had to get permission from the local Maori tribe to swim across because it's like a sacred place. Like when a story like that makes you know that this place means something to a lot of people over a period of time, there's something bigger than me at this place. And to go and then be part of that and to add a, you know, a little footnote onto the interest of that area. Oh, it's absolutely amazing. I love it.
0: And it also sounds like it's enabled you to meet some amazing people and visit places that you probably wouldn't have visited otherwise. And both like the River Eden and also in your swims elsewhere, it sounds like you've been able to meet amazing people who have been excited about your journey and wanted to help and be part of it. Who's someone particularly that you had a great connection with on some of your journeys? Is there anyone that stands out? I think even
1: I, I really like Teresa, our ship captain for the Mosque Strauman. Like she was great because she was just like so matter of fact about it that it was brilliant. And she has when we went, Callum had been there before, but when I went there for the first time, to see her place where she lives and she has the jawbone of a, a sperm whale outside her house. And you're like, okay, this is quite a special place. And we went in and then straight away, you know, we were about to do the swim the next day. And she was, like, oh, check out these pictures. Here's the 30 orcas that were feeding there yesterday. And and like she had a really like dry uh, sense of humor that was great. It was just we're like, right, no, just get in, swim it. Let's get out, you know, and that really helps actually. And I think, yeah, and I think for her was quite nice because she said, I remember you telling me, Callum, that she said that a lot of people get in touch with her to be, say they want to do these things and, you know, swim or, scuba dive, things like this in the Mosque Strauman, but nobody ever ends up doing it. And we actually, Callum got in touch with her and then we came and we actually did it. Um, And I think that was maybe quite interesting for her as well. And also just for a bit of background, she runs the tours to the Mosque Strauman in her speedboat. So she knows the waves, knows the waters really well. And also, I think afterwards you have a like pretty good shared level of respect because essentially she was the one guiding us through the right way. We just have to trust her hundred percent, you know, like to totally go on her advice. So yeah, I think she she was she was a good laugh and she did help us get through. So uh, yeah, I think her for me. There's been so so many. There's Colin, the unstoppable force.
2: Oh the yeah, broom swim. There's this Colin McLeod, a Scottish swimmer who. He just was like, "Guys, I want to, I want to come on this swim. Like, can I come along?" And we, you know, he came all the way from the Outer Isles of Lewis. We set up a tent for him and all this. And he's a phenomenal swimmer. He was swimming in between us, up and down, checking on us, taking photos. Like he's done like thirty kilometer, forty kilometer swims. But he was just such a warm character. We had him at our old family home up in the hills that we built, and he was there smiling. But like, just like this, totally. No ego, no like just a happy, jolly person who was just lovely to be around. There was a couple, we did a, an event in a banyan in Croatia on this island and it was like a music festival slash we were doing like some wild swimming lessons. And I met this couple on the boat over, like an older couple, and they were like, oh, this is a bit cool, a bit quirky. It's the first thing we've done like this. And they came on this like swim that we did where we took people around the island so for an unexperienced swimmer it was like you know deep water around the island but it was it was beautiful we got incredible conditions and afterwards they said that it it was the best thing they've ever done as a couple and you could see it was just about the two of them and it had been this like a mate I think they were in their mid-40s they'd had this experience the two of them like just doing something that they didn't think that they could do or they were afraid of so it's a really lovely world of like it's a whole mixture of people. Like you can't look cool when you're swimming because you've got speedos and a swim cap on. It's impossible. So it's not like too materialistic. There's not really much ego because you can't really hide. You're either acclimatized or you're not.
1: I think the water batters any ego out with you very quickly. Like you can't swim with it. It just doesn't work. Like you you need confidence, but you get that through swimming. Yeah, you just you very quickly understand that it's like, okay, I'm here. If the current takes me this way, I'm going that way. If it takes me over that way, I'm going that way. And it's, I think, yeah, quite a nice a nice lesson to learn, really. I think some of the best swimmers, like Callum mentioned Colin there, who was just, he was a phenomenal athlete, but just so modest about it. And also even like someone I've spoke to a bit is Lynn Cox, who I've never, I would love to swim with her, but she, again, like just absolutely no ego whatsoever. And some of the things the swim she's done are insane. You know, she swam across from the US to Russia and she's she was kind of a pioneer of a lot of cold water swimming and everything as well. And if you met her, you'd never know. There's just nothing like no showing off, nothing like that. Just pure confidence, you know, like she doesn't need to, doesn't need to at all. I think that's pretty, pretty special. It's a good also like collection of people who are just living in different ways and doing things as well. And I mean, people who are, on the outside, are normally quite fun to hang around with, so uh, yeah, definitely enjoyable.
2: The Lyncock swim—that's up there with like Hillary and and Tenzing Norgay climbing Everest. It's up there with Armstrong on the moon. Like it was, uh, yeah, Russia, Alaska to Russia across the Bering Straits, two point eight degree water, so freezing cold, two point four miles swim. So, like an ice mile is one of like the hardest challenges in swimming, and she did two point four miles. There was opposing currents, which meant she was in the water for almost twice as long as she should have been. And it was during the Cold War. And um, Gorbachev said, and Reagan both said that she had gone a long way to thawing relations between the two countries, and she managed to pull off this expedition that, you know, during the height of the Cold War when no American had set foot on Russian soil for almost a decade, you know, it's not as well known. There's so many characters in swimming. It's very female dominated at the top end. There's been four-way channel swim, which a lady did,
1: Sarah Thomas, uh, last year, I think. Four ways. (laughs) It's just insane. It's amazing. Amazing. You're right, actually. That's a really interesting part of it too. Like, I think there's, when it comes down to also for... Yeah, like male and female swimmers, there's really there's no difference, like at all the levels. There are phenomenal swimmers and it's just it's it isn't like, Oh yeah, all the best swimmers are male. Like it just it's not at all. And people like Lynn Cox, to be honest, are pretty good evidence for the contrary. And especially also with all the research that's been done into like ultra high end endurance that's looking at like actually how women are much better than men in that field as well, is is I think really, really interesting. Like a lot of swimming or a lot of things that are happening in the wild swimming community are definitely like defying a lot of conventional norms for the better, I would say.
0: Yeah, and you've spoken About some real pioneers and adventurers, but there are also lots of swimmers who just enjoy getting in for a dip and a breaststroke. But if there's anybody who's listening who isn't sure about wild swimming or they're not sure about why they should swim, I'd love to hear from both of you what swimming has meant to you and also a reason for people to dive in and get involved.
2: What's my elevator pitch on wild swimming? It would be it's the easiest way to reconnect yourself to the natural world. So That would be my number one reason is it's difficult to be in the 21st century as a human and not to be disconnected from nature. So a wild swim is the quickest, cheapest, easiest way to access that natural part of yourself. If you're not too sure about where to go or what to do, don't go on your own. Get a friend, a family member, go on Facebook and Google your local city, your local county And I guarantee you there'll be a a weird and wonderful group of incredibly passionate, incredibly helpful people. This is what the UK is brilliant for is eccentricity. And everywhere in the UK, there will be someone who is willing to go with a first timer and take them for their first swim. So that's what that's that would be my kind of reason to try it.
1: I'd say from my side, so I'd say three really quick points. The first is if you have any creative inclination, it's brilliant for that You know, like we said, Jack's a writer, like I'm an artist. For both of us, it's just been really, really inspiring, really helpful. So if you're at all interested in that aspect of your own personality, while Swimming will help you creatively. And the other two points are the physiological and the psychological benefits. So for your physical and your mental health. So in terms of the mental health, like swimming, is amazing for alleviating symptoms of anxiety, depression, even the hormonal balance changes, so you know you it releases endorphins, releases dopamine, so you you will just feel happier. <laughs> it's just like scientifically it helps with that state of affairs. And also on the physical side, the benefits of wild swimming are just really really numerous. You know, you obviously everyone knows swimming is good for you, but it helps you control your body, it helps you like develop your muscles, develop your cardiovascular ability, develop your good breathing habits as well. And then also like, yeah, burn fat too, if that's if that's your thing. If you want to get your beach body, go for a wild swim.
0: Thank you so much, both of you, for sharing your story and also just having a chat with me about swimming. I know there's so much exciting stuff that's coming. It sounds like there's already a little bit of a tease of what's to come, uh, maybe another swim for you in New Zealand. Uh, so thank you so much for chatting to me today.
1: Of course, it's been a pleasure. Thanks very much. Thanks for having us on prayer.
0: So, that was the Wild Swimming Brothers. You can find them on social media at the Wild Swimming Brothers. And if you want to find out more about some of their world first swims, you can read their book, Swim Wild, which was written by Jack Hudson, and I really can't recommend it enough. Don't forget to check out Try Hard with the code TIDLE for 15% off. See you next week.